you will please turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, if you need a Bible, there should be some of the chairs in front of you, and we're on page 181, I invite you to follow along in this narrative. And as you're turning there, uh, as Taylor mentioned, we're having two Easter services, uh, 7 a.m. sunrise service at the new property downtown, and then 10 a.m. service here. The question is asked, do I have to come to both? Sure, yeah, come to both. No, uh, it, it, it will be the same sermon. Uh, it will be a shorter service at the sunrise service, but we invite you to come to whichever one your family uh, fits your family schedule and uh, invite friends. Joshua chapter 7, this is God's holy word to us this morning, and we pray that he would help us to handle it carefully. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of Yahweh burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of Yahweh until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Yahweh said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I have commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things and have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted to destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says Yahweh, God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that Yahweh takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that Yahweh takes shall come near by households. And the household that Yahweh takes shall come near by man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He 
in all that he has. Because he has transgressed the covenant of Yahweh and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah. And the clan of the Zerites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. And he brought near the household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son... Give glory to Yahweh, God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against Yahweh, God of Israel. This is what I did when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them before Yahweh. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Accor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? Yahweh brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. And they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stone that remains to this day. Then Yahweh turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Accor. Let's pray. Almighty God, these are some hard words that we read. So, Lord, teach us. Help us to discern. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The God that holds you over the pit of hell... Much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes and to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell last night. That you were allowed to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes in sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose this morning but that God's hand held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell since you have sat here this morning in the house of God, provoking His pure eyes by your sinful, wicked manner of attending His solemn worship. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you did not this very moment drop into hell. O sinner, consider the dreadful danger you are in. 
It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand that God whose wrath is provoked in incense as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. That is perhaps, uh, that is a small portion of perhaps the greatest sermon ever preached on American soil. It was delivered in 1741 and again in Massachusetts and in Connecticut by pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards. The great sermon was entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it was but one of many sermons that the Lord used to cause a great awakening in America where true revival took place, where there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit much like has never been witnessed before, many would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Edward's purpose in preaching such a shocking and solemn sermon was to demonstrate that hell is real and that the wrath of God is a serious matter. The wrath of God and the reality of hell, they are some of the most grave and serious subjects that we must ever consider in this life. And let's be honest, we don't hear many sermons on it. I would be fired, I think, for preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God. I encourage you to go read that sermon. And here in Joshua 7, just when we thought that everything was great and the conquest of the promised land was going to be a piece of cake, all was good in Israel, we find a sentence that quite frankly should leave us utterly afraid and petrified. Look there in chapter 7, verse 1, where the sentence reads, the anger of Yahweh burned against the people of Israel. And so today we're faced with a topic, a theme that we don't want to think about, much less talk about. And that is that God is a God of wrath. He hates sin. He hates evil. His wrath and His holy anger is burning white hot against evil and wickedness. God is full of fiery wrath against sin. And the theological truth that we must assert, that we must believe this morning is that God hates and therefore he must punish all that is opposed to his holy name. This is not just an Old Testament theme. We don't turn to the Old Testament to find this God. This is the Lord of the Bible. We find in the New Testament as well. Go and read Romans 1 and Revelation 19. God is angry. And his anger burns against sin and those who practice evil. But I want us to be careful here. I want to be careful here. We must be careful when we discuss and describe this attribute to God so that we don't form in our minds a God who is always angry. He's always disapproving of his people because that is not true. The truth is anger is not essential to God's being. In other words, it's not who he is in essence. That kind of teaching is not true and it's not helpful and it gives us a warped understanding of who God is. Rather, it's best to understand anger as an expression of God's holy will. 
him enacting his holy justice against sin and evil. Better yet, we might describe anger as an expression of God's holiness and his justice towards sin. God is holy and just, and he cannot let sin go unpunished. And that leads us to our story here today in Joshua 7. Here we're face to face with a holy God who calls his people to absolute holiness and to covenant loyalty to him. And in covenant covenant loyalty, there are these wonderful promises for those who obey, but there are dreadful consequences for disobedience. As we have learned, the book of Joshua, it's not just about Joshua, is it? It's not about Israel and their great might and their military prowess. And today, it's not about just one bad apple named Achan. It's about a holy God. A holy, holy God. And He loves His people. And He desires for His people to be holy. To be His holy people, in His holy place, under His sovereign protection. But there is covenant responsibilities. And so this episode is going to teach us about God. It's going to teach us about his holiness, about his wrath, and about how his wrath must be satisfied. Let's look at those three things. The first is that God is holy. God is holy, and we are not. He is the creator. He is absolutely perfect, sinless, and holy in his being. And this awesome, holy God, he has entered into relationship with his people, specifically entered into relationship with his people called Israel. We might say the Old Testament church. And this relationship that he has with them is called a covenant, a promise that he will be their God and and they will be his people. And with this covenant comes real blessings for obedience and yet real consequences for disobedience. In Joshua chapter 6, that most famous chapter we might say, in Joshua, Yahweh God commanded the people to conquer Jericho. And in conquering Jericho, they were to devote everything to destruction. They were to destroy everything, everything, except for the gold and silver and bronze, which were to be put into the treasury of Yahweh God for holy use. This command seems simple enough, right? Go and conquer. Israel was victorious. Jericho was conquered. The holy conquest of the promised land was well in its way. Yahweh was with Joshua and Israel, and all was just perfect until verse 1 of chapter 7. The people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. They broke faith. There was one bad apple we read about named Achan. He brought the conquest to a streaking halt. He single-handedly got them off that high roller coaster, that spiritual high, by his disobedience. There was one man who thought God wasn't watching and that he could break covenant with Yahweh God. Up until now, Israel was, again, riding on this incredible high. 
Think about all that Yahweh God had done for them so far, all the victory and the, and the wonders that he was working in them. And perhaps at this point, they became overconfident. Perhaps at this point, they were thinking, we could just keep carrying on because Yahweh God is with us no matter what. And so overconfident they became that when it came time for the army to conquer the little old city of Ai, there were some messengers that came back to Joshua and said, Joshua, don't worry about troubling yourself by sending the whole army to conquer little old Ai. They are just a few. They just have a small number of people. We'll just send a few men up there and, the, and we'll just conquer them easy. Now, the, the ESV translation that I read from, and I know many of you do, says that they sent about two or 3,000 men to conquer Ai, but that word for thousand probably would be better translated something like troops or units. And so instead of two or 3,000, it probably was more likely that it was two or three troops that would have been about 50 or 60 men total, Okay. So how overconfident were they to think that they could send like, okay, this many people, <laughs> you know, to go and conquer the city of Ai? They thought they could tackle this city with just a small force. But then we read that Ai was ready and they routed this small force and it said they specifically killed 36 of the Israelite soldiers. So that would have been more than half of this regiment, of significant number of this regiment that was sent to fight Ai was wiped out easily. They were struck down, the scriptures say. And with their sound defeat, Israel all of a sudden was in shock. It says their hearts melted and became like water. They developed this pit in their stomach that caused great fear and worry because, again, they were riding on this great spiritual high. They saw the walls of Jericho tumbled down to the ground, and then all of a sudden they're routed by this tiny little city called Ai. What happened? What happened? That was Joshua's response. What went wrong? Oh, Lord, you're going to kill us all, and you're going to cut off your great name. We're going to be easily defeated here in the promised land. What happened? Sin happened. Sin happened. Israel transgressed the law of God. Someone took some of the devoted things. Someone stole some of the devoted things that God explicitly commanded them not to take. And what is worse, they lied about it. God's clear to command to Israel was disobeyed. It was not that Achan took some stuff. It was that he disobeyed God. It was a very clear command. He sinned. And what does every sin deserve? Our catechism teaches us every sin deserves the wrath and curse of God. You know, what a great reminder this story is of the omnipotence and the omniscience of God. He knows all things. He sees all things. Nothing can be hidden from God, right, children? Isn't that what the catechism teaches? Nothing can be hidden from God. 
Do you believe that this morning? Do you honestly believe that God sees everything you do? Even those things that you think weren't such a big deal? Aiken thought, nobody will miss this stuff. I'll go hide it in my tent. It won't be discovered there. Even those little things that we do on the internet, God does not have to go back and look at our search history. He knows it. Or those times that we think that we're all alone, God sees it all. And here we see that proven. Yahweh God comes to the mediator Joshua, and he declares that the people had sinned. Notice the corporate nature of here. We could just blame Achan for this. His sin was a public sin. It affected all of God's people. And God tells Joshua that he is holy. And unless the people repent and destroy the devoted things, he will not be with them. He will withdraw his presence. What a fearful thing to think about. The presence of Yahweh God, the presence of our Lord, drawing away from us. Think about that for Israel, stuck in a land that was not yet their own. And Yahweh threatened to withdraw his presence. But why is this such a big deal? I mean, Achan only looks, took some stuff, right? I mean, he didn't kill anybody. Why is this such a big deal? And that's exactly where the whole human race fell into sin, right? Doesn't that sound exactly like what the serpent whispered to Adam and Eve? Did God really say you would be like him? Isn't that that lie that we can sometimes believe that breaking God's command is not that big of a deal? This lamentable story sets the scene for this everlasting truth. God is holy. And the Lord God Almighty, He is passionate about His holiness and His justice. And therefore, His fearful wrath must judge sin and evil. The writer of Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. J.I. Packer, in his wonderful book called Knowing God, he states, the Bible sets the one almighty creator the only real God in whom all goodness and truth find their source, to whom all moral evil is abhorrent. He hates it. Packer goes on to say that the deepest of all human problems is the problem of man's relation with his maker. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He is holy and we are not. And because God is holy, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1. God is a God of wrath. His holy, white-hot anger burns against sin. But least we think that God's anger is just some temper tantrum that God will get over 
Verse 1 in chapter 7 of Joshua declares that Yahweh's anger burns against the people of Israel. Think about that. Think about those words there for a minute. We are not told that Yahweh's anger was burning against the people of Jericho or Ai. It was against his own people. And now we will see that God will use a pagan nation to discipline his own people. So it begs the question, do you believe in a God of wrath? Do you believe in a God of wrath? Do you believe that you have offended him with your rebellion? Do you believe that his wrath burns towards you like a raging fire because of your sin? That is essentially another way of understanding this first membership vow that was asked this morning. The question goes, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, except for his sovereign mercy? That sounds a little nicer than if I were to stand up here and say, do you justly do you believe you justly deserve the wrath and fire of God? You know, that, that's harsh, isn't it? But I think this is a theological blind spot for the church today. We don't believe and we don't even acknowledge a God who can and will bear his wrath. And that theological deficiency leads to all sorts of bad theology. There is one such church that petitioned the publishers of that great hymn that we sing so often in Christ alone. They wanted to put that hymn in their hymnal but they wanted to remove the sentence, the wrath of God was satisfied. The publishers denied that request because that is at the heart of the theological truth here. That God is holy. He is a pure God. Sin has consequences. Sin had consequences for Israel. They transgressed Yahweh God's law. They broke faith with him. And this is a further truth that we cannot and must not ignore this morning or ever. We cannot love and, and worship and serve God if we insist on living in sin. If we insist on participating in things that God says is devoted to destruction, oftentimes what we will find is that sin will destroy us. We will be delivered over to death because of our sin. We cannot worship God and live in sin. When the lots were cast and the guilty were brought forward, could you imagine all of Israel and all the men standing before Joshua wondering if they were going to be selected? Achan was brought forward. He was undone. He had nowhere to hide. He was found out in his sin. And when we are face to face before a holy God, we see that there's nowhere to hide. And that is not the time to dig in and even sin more or lie. But it's time to confess and repent, to turn from evil. Lead from mercy. And that's the third truth that we learn. Is that God's wrath must be satisfied. 
God's wrath must be satisfied. After the perpetrator was discovered, Joshua sent men to Achan's tent to retrieve the stolen items, and they took those things and everything that belonged to Achan, his family, his livestock, his possessions, and we read that they were burned with fire and stoned to death. Even reading that to you and saying that to you right now is heartbreaking. It seems too harsh. It seems too severe of a punishment for just taking some stuff. But the truth is, the penalty is so severe because sin is so serious. The severity and the harshness of this punishment is only too severe and only too harsh if you have a low view of God and a low view of sin. But if God's holiness and sinning against Him is no big deal to you, then it will lead you to do all sorts of things that you believe aren't a big deal, won't it? A low view of sin and a flippant view of the holiness of God will lead you to do all sorts of awful things. Commit adultery. It will lead you to lie to get a promotion at work. It will lead you to cheat on a test just so you won't get in trouble with your parents. It will lead you to blame all your problems on everyone else but yourself. That's what a low view of sin and a low view of the holiness of God will do. But, and this is where Psalm 51 that we read earlier in the service teaches us. David's great sin taught us that if you confess and see that your sin and your transgression is always before you, nothing can be hidden from God. He sees it all. And that you see that your sin is against a holy God. That it is His law that you transgress. When you do that, you will find a mercy that is more. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Oh, I'm glad we sang that song today. It's been stuck in my head all week, and I pray that it's stuck in yours. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. At least we meditate on the holiness and the justice and the wrath of God and we leave this place discouraged and confused and see, that's why I quit going to church, those preachers preaching hellfire and brimstone all the time. I think this is the first time I've done this in five years. We must remember the gospel. This is when the good news comes in, right? Just when it seems just awful and bad. The gospel teaches us that our Creator has become our Redeemer, J.I. Packer said. God's wrath is His holy righteousness reacting against unrighteousness. But, but Christ has shielded us from the divine wrath by stepping in as, in our, as our substitute. He bore the wrath reserved for us. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the free gift of God is that Jesus steps in and he receives the full payment for our sin by dying in our place. 
This is why Paul says in Romans 3 that God is both the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible word that is most accurately describes this wonderful doctrine is called propitiation. Say that, propitiation. Yes, it's hard. It's my favorite Bible word. It's a wonderful word. Let's get some t-shirts that say propitiation because nobody's going to know what that means and you will be preaching the gospel before you know it. Here you go. The doctrine of propitiation is this. It's that God loves the objects of his wrath so much that he sent his one and only son so that his blood might satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. You see, God is holy, right? And he takes sin seriously. And that's why Israel was defeated at Ai. And that's why his anger burned against Israel. And so unless the wrath of God is satisfied, oh sinner, consider the fearful danger you're in. It's a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of wrath that waits for you, Edwards taught. This truth is why J.I. Packer calls propitiation the heart of the gospel. Because it's the very core of Christian teaching. The the very center of the truth that God loved the church so much that he sent his one and only son to show his love. Jesus bore the wrath reserved for you and me. We will sing the wrath of God is satisfied as loud as we can. Because if it wasn't for that, we would all be burned and stoned. Once the purification of Achan and all that belonged to him was complete. Look at verse 26. This is the gospel screaming from the text here. Look at it. Once the purification of Achan and all that belonged to him was complete, we read, Yahweh turned from his burning anger. He was about to smite the whole nation. They were all going to be burned. And God's wrath was satisfied. It was propitiated. But we know that that was just for a moment, right? Sin still remains. Rebellion still resides in all of our hearts. Oh, what can we do to be saved? And this is where the love and the grace and the mercy of God reign supreme. We have to believe in this moment that Israel was, was longing for a redeemer, someone who would come and save them from their sin and stand in the gap next time Yahweh God's anger would burn against them. What would they do the next time someone else messed up and transgressed the law of God? But now a Redeemer has come. The Lord Jesus Christ. And He has propitiated the wrath of God once and for all by His death on the cross. 1 John 4.10 And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Maybe for the first time this morning, you are face to face with your sin. 
and you see that it is a big deal. It is a huge deal. And you realize that you have sinned against the holy God. What must you do? What must you do to be saved? Do as Achan did. He actually did confess. He confessed, truly I have sinned against the Lord. But you need to continue to do what he did not do. And that is beg for mercy. By turning away from yourself and looking to the one who died on the cross on your behalf. Go to the cross where love and mercy meet. Where the wrath of God has been satisfied. Let's pray. Oh, our holy God, what a wonderful thing you did for us by turning your burning anger away from us and putting it on your son by his death on the cross. What love with which you have loved us by sending your son as the propitiation for our sin. We thank you. We praise you. Oh, for grace to love you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.